0: Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping project managers sharpen their PM skills. Unfortunately, a topic that is rampant in the construction and infrastructure industry is suicide. It's a terrible thing, but it is happening more and more often. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, I'll be talking with Vince Hayfley. Vince has his MBA. He's the president at Ajax Paving Industries of Florida. And he's going to talk about this topic that is often overlooked, but it's of great importance. And again, that is suicide. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the construction industry has a disturbingly high rate of suicide compared to other industries. In fact, construction workers have a suicide rate that is significantly higher than the national average. In 2016, the suicide rate for construction workers was 47.3 per 100,000 compared to the national average of 17 per 100,000. And in this episode, we'll be exploring the role that leadership plays in addressing this issue and the steps that can be taken to prevent it. From creating a supportive work environment to promoting mental health resources, leadership has the power to make a real difference in the lives of construction workers. Let's jump in with Vince Hafley. All right now I'd like to welcome my guest onto the show for today. Vince Hayfley is the president at Ajax Paving Industries of Florida. Vince, welcome to the Engineering Project Management Podcast.: Glad to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do on a daily basis at Ajax.
1: I've been with Ajax for about 20 years, 38 years in the industry. I'm the president of Ajax Paving. I'd, I'd like to tell you I do a lot every day, but I've actually have such a great group of employees. Some days I really wonder what I do. I guess I'm to a point in my career where I'm more of a mentor and a coach, guiding, bringing uh, young people up through the company. I'm working on some transformational leadership changes with Ajax and our industry as a whole in the area of mental health. I've left my mark on hundreds or probably thousands of people over the course of my career, business-wise and project management-wise, technical-wise, and in the few years I have left, I'm trying to leave some emotional
0: impacts and just make this a better environment for people to work in. Just for those listening, just, just give them a little bit of an idea of what Ajax does on a daily basis, just so they understand the company.
1: And we're primarily an asphalt paving company, an asphalt production company. We're along the west coast of Florida into the middle of the state a little bit. We have eight asphalt plant production facilities. Uh, We have four area construction offices, have a trucking division, about 475 employees. We do a lot of design build work. The majority of our work is done for our best customer, the Florida Department of Transportation. So we're mainly a governmental employee, but we do dabble in some private work as
0: well. So Vince, you mentioned transformational leadership. What is that and how does it differ from other leadership styles? Well, transformational
1: leadership, at least in my definition, is is really about looking at a way to transform our organization, transform the people within our organization, and take it to a different level, down a new path, a new journey, where traditional leadership would be leading on some of our missions and goals that we've had set for years. So we're really kind of transforming the way we look at our, our people. We've always felt that we had a great culture and took care of our people. Uh, Physical safety has always been very, very high uh, priority with the organization. But now we're starting to look at that mental health really plays into the overall physical safety. If, If we can give them hard hats, we can give them boots, eye protection, hearing protection, we can give them all the things physically that they need. We're really wanting to transform how we look at that. If they're mentally struggling today, if something's happened, I mean, a lot of things happen in people's lives, it doesn't put them down a path of mental illness per se, they're just, they may be having a bad mental health day. We're trying to encourage people to raise their hand and say, that's me today. Maybe I shouldn't be the one directing traffic, or maybe I shouldn't be running the excavator. and." We don't laugh at them we don't criticize them we're trying to transform to where we say thank you for telling us that let's put you in a spot today where you won't harm yourself or harm someone else so it's really about transforming the way the company is moving
0: forward you know in the world of leadership in the world of change really transformation is what needs to happen because for something as deep as leadership and culture it's not something that changes overnight. You really need to transform. You really need to have a strong mindset and be talking about these things on a regular basis to make change happen. It has to be a very regular thing. And you talked a lot about mental well being there. I know that in the construction industry, the suicide rate has been high, much higher. In fact, in 2016, the rate for construction workers was 47.3 per 100,000 compared to the national average of 17 per 100,000, which is a huge disparity, of course. Can you talk a little bit about how transformational leadership can positively impact the mental well being of employees? I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but can you go a little deeper on that?
1: Companies can look at one how the leaders address mental health. I can tell you in our organization, I stood on a stage in front of 400 of our employees on January 3rd, 2022, told them that we were gonna begin addressing mental health and and suicide in our company. I was suicidal in 2007. We lost a good employee by the name of Mark in 2015 to suicide. So it had impacted us. And when we decided to do that, That evening, within hours of our safety day ending, I began receiving emails and and calls from people saying, thank you, you're going to change my life. One of those individuals in July at our mid-year meeting came to me and he he said, what Ajax did, uh, you've saved my marriage and you've probably saved my career with what you've done. So we took that one step further. The first week of September every year is Suicide Awareness Week in construction. And we created a toolbox talk about Mark. Not to honor Mark, but to remember Mark for what he did and the impact that it left on a lot of people at the time. And eight years later, it still has left an impact on some of those people. So we created that talk that I went out into the field uh, that week up under our Tampa operations. And I visited three crews. The first crew wanted to tell us about an alcohol intervention they had done two weeks earlier, and they were proud of it, what they had done. We went to the second crew, and one of the young men wanted to tell all of us that 10 years ago, his father took his life. And he does an annual walk every year with a picture of his father on his back and Oh, by the way, my mother volunteers at a suicide helpline. He said, we went to a third crew and the gentleman on the crew wanted to show all of us his, his wrist where he had tried to take his life. And thank goodness he wasn't successful, but he had tried. None of the conversations and none of those stories were ever told until I stood up with the leader and said, it's okay to share your stories. Uh, we're not going to stigmatize you. We're not going to... You won't avoid the next promotion. I think it even shows those individuals that they're more powerful and being able to share and tell their stories. So I respect them for that, and rather than stigmatizing them and putting them in a corner. The one gentleman that said, hey, you saved my life and marriage has had, I know, at least one and then maybe two promotions since that happened. He was a great employee before, but he has greatly improved since he's
0: seeked and received help. What's important about, from a leadership perspective, what you've said is people are always paying attention to the leaders in their organization and what the leaders say and what the leaders do matter. And I think sometimes, you know, as leaders, we might forget that. could be the conversation, the words you use, It's really important. And I think that when you commit to something like this as the leader of the organization, you gave perfect examples of how people responded to that. The emails that you got, the follow-up conversations, it kind of makes people, I think, feel more comfortable about the topic because you're committed to it. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about next is just to talking about the importance of kind of creating a safe and supportive work environment for your team members and kind of the impact that it has on their mental health, just creating that environment.
1: We've always taken good care of our people, or at least we think we do. I look at pieces of, of our industry and and construction. And and there are some companies that, that I look at and I think, my goodness, how do you even get people to show up for work? The way you treat your employees. I'm probably somewhat not a unique leader. I started in this industry 38 years ago, pushing a wheelbarrow, testing concrete. $4.50 an hour, two hours a day. That was my start. I progressed. I mean, I became a project manager along the way for engineering firms, for DOT firms. I, I came here to Ajax as a quality control manager. I crawled through bag houses at the plants with the guys and came out with, dirty as a coal miner. I have never felt comfortable asking anyone to do something that I wouldn't do myself. That's just kind of my DNA and how I'm wired. That was my up- upbringing. I really think you can't be a leader if you don't have anyone following you, right? And, and people don't want to follow someone in today's world that's not a caring leader, not a nurturing leader. I get to go around the country a lot and, and, and talk, and last summer, at an insurance meeting out in California. And they were discussing about how difficult it is to get people to come into this industry anymore. And they come and they leave. And I looked around the room and I said, you know why they leave? They leave because of you and they leave because of you. They leave because of people like me, my age. When I came up into the industry, if you didn't go to work each day and get hit with a stick and yelled at, you weren't being seen. So getting yelled at was in some ways a recognition that you were actually participating to where you could see that you did something wrong in the eyes of the guy you were working for. We as leaders now have so many different generations. We've got Gen Zs and Ys and Xs and baby boomers and millennials. I mentor in the Women of Asphalt program every year. I was First guy to mentor in the women of asphalt, and I'm one of the few that still do, and I love doing it. To me, that's important. And one thing that I told the lady I was mentoring this year, I said, here's what I would challenge you to do at becoming a leader. If you're 40 years old, find someone 55 years old that you can go to lunch with on occasion and learn from. And also find the 25-year-old that you can go to lunch with on occasion and learn from because they both have different stories, both have different perspectives on how they see the workplace and what they want out of the workplace. The 60-year-old just wants you to tell him what to do, and he'll go do it, and he'll go home. The 25-year-old wants to know why you're asking him to do that. And once you explain to him why, he will do it. But more importantly, he may have a better way to do it, because they think different, they have different ideas, They're a lot smarter than I was when I was that age. I think it's important for leaders to not get locked away with what they're comfortable with. I think every day you need to find someone that can challenge you. And those are the people you want around you. A great leader doesn't want the yes man or yes woman. You need someone that will push you and make you think differently. And so back to that story of what I was telling those people in California, I said, we talk about we're going to have not enough workers in this industry come 2030 when all of a baby boomers die. I said, here's what I'm going to tell you. Those young people are going to figure out better ways and easier way to do what we've labored to do for the last 40 years. So. Give them a break, give them the opportunity and listen to their ideas and we will be that much better as an industry and you'll be that much better as a leader.
0: All of this kind of goes back to what you said before in that you definitely want to get perspective and have conversations with people of all different experience levels because I do think it's valuable for a leader. As a leader, you need to make sure that they're comfortable enough to be able to give you that feedback and give you that advice because- Especially for younger professionals, they can be very fearful of leadership. Vince is busy. I can't go in and talk to him about this or something like that. So I think that it's a a leader's responsibility to not only listen to people, but let people know that you want to hear from them and that you expect to hear from them and that your intention is to take what they're telling you and incorporate it into the growth of the company and the strategy of the company moving forward, because we need to hear from people at every level, every discipline of the organization. So I do find that. Sometimes leaders make an assumption that people will come and talk to them, and that's kind of a dangerous assumption to make because they just may not be comfortable doing it.
1: Well, that's why the leader had to get out and see his people. He had to get out and talk to them. I told someone the other day, maybe the biggest make mistake I've made in the last couple of years is always telling people I have an open door policy. Because people aren't shy to come in from any level and say whatever's on their mind, you know. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. It wasn't a mistake. If you're going to allow people to come in and give you ideas and suggestions, you have to do something with it. And sometimes doing something with it and getting back with them and say, hey, you know, I've looked into that. That just doesn't work for our company. That doesn't work for our, our culture. It doesn't work for our, our business. And sometimes that answer may come when they're in the room. You can't encourage people to come and talk to you and shake their hands and wave and smile as they walk away and never do anything with it. Because before long, everybody in the company is going to know that, hey, it doesn't do any good to go and talk to him anyway, because he's not going to do anything with it. So you got to be responsive.
0: You have to take action on some of the feedback that you get, for sure.
1: And being responsive sometimes means being the bad guy that part of being
0: the leader. So Vince, what is the reason or reasons that the suicide rate in the construction industry is so high?
1: I mean, there's a lot of documented reasons. Um, I think I have a reason that doesn't go along with the documentation. Part of that is I'm in the middle of a doctoral program right now. And my research is on suicide in the construction industry. And if you go through all the literature, they're going to tell you that it's because of alcoholism, opioids, stressful work conditions, sleep deprivation. We work a lot of nights. We work a lot of days. Sometimes in parts of the country, people are away from their families for months at a time. They work in mobile operations, so they don't have a support system around them. And while those are all true causes, I mean, because they've been studied and they've been documented, in my research, I'm interviewing industry executives to get their take on. Their personal feeling towards mental health and suicide in our industry and their organization's actions on mental health and suicide. I'm early into my interviews and I'll be done with them probably here in another six weeks. The majority of the interviews I do when I talk to company leaders is I didn't know there was a problem. That's shocking that you tell me those are the numbers. And I tell them those aren't my numbers. Those are the CDC's numbers. I'm not making them up. They're documented. To answer your question, what I think is the real issue in our industry is that nobody knows there's a problem. The people that need to know there's a problem don't know there's a problem, so they're not addressing it within their organization, how to make it different, how to transform it back to transformational leadership. I did something that I'm rather proud of and totally never been done before that I'm aware of two days ago on February 7th. At the Florida Transportation Construction Building Conference in Orlando, an audience of 1900 people. I had a proclamation that I drafted, and I invited people such as Douglas Carlson, the uh, president of the National Utility Contractors Association, Ward Nye, the CEO of Martin Marietta Materials. I had uh, Jamie Roush with Dynapac, general Manager in North America there. I had I had 31 people, contractors, And they all signed a proclamation as leaders of their organizations. And as leaders of our industry, they will begin to have open and meaningful conversations about mental health and suicide. I've always heard that an alcoholic doesn't go to AA meetings until he suddenly realizes that he's an alcoholic. I don't think we can fix suicide in our industry until our industry recognizes there's a problem. And I don't think our industry recognizes that because that's what my research is showing me in these interviews that i'm doing with industry leaders there are exceptions we have got some companies that are doing great things but in general nobody knows we have a problem that's what i'm trying to educate people and that's the message i'm trying to get out and then the follow-up from what we're doing on that event from the seventh is i'm trying to gather seven hundred thousand signatures signature by december 31 of 2024 and support the cause so i'm taking what became a, an ajax effort to a Florida effort. So I want to make it a national effort to change our industry. To me, that's transformational leadership.
0: I want to get into a little bit some of the things companies can do, but I, I want to still just talk a little bit about the awareness part of it because I agree that's a big step. One, you have to be aware of something to be able to make a change around it. And for you, I mean, you're going through this doctoral program. This is obviously a hugely important thing to you right now in your career, and you're know, bringing that into Ajax. Obviously, if you decided to go to do this doctoral program and do all the stuff you're doing, I know you mentioned some of the things that happened to you that made you think more about this, but was there something that you've got to go do this, you've got to go get your doctor, you got to get the program, you got to get this go? like Was there something that kind of an experience that you had or was it just a kind of accumulation of things that have happened over the years that you kind of mentioned before? Because it seems like you've obviously made this like your priority in life, it sounds like.
1: Well, why did I go to the doctoral program? It's kind of a joke. I told my kids when they were younger, before I died, they'd have to call me doctor one day. So I'd made a commitment in my mind to my kids. So that was one piece of it. Another piece of it was when I started the doctoral program, I was 59, I guess. As you go up through leadership, I wasn't crunching numbers like I used to. I wasn't using my brain like I used to. I felt like I was losing some of my edge. I didn't want to lose my edge. So that was probably the main reason I started the doctoral program because I wanted to remain sharp. When I went into the program, I really wanted to research frontline leadership in the asphalt industry. I mean, the first paper I, I published at a conference in India, that's actually what the topic was on. I wanted to study why we we take the great tradesman, we make him a foreman, and he fails he has all the technical skills and he doesn't have any of the soft skills, so he failed because we don't give him any. So he doesn't fail, we fail him. And uh, I told professor that's what I wanted to research and he looked at me and he said, that's pretty weak and lame, that's been done before. Of which I responded, well, no, it's not. I've I've done the literature review. There's nothing out there on that in the asphalt industry. He said, go look at the medical industry. They studied why physicians fail when they make them hospital administrators. He said, it's the same storyline just changed The titles in there, and he said, "Go find something different." I went back and and thought, "Hey, well, you know that paper I published in India—the hook to get people to want to read the article was about suicide in the construction industry." So I thought maybe that would be something to do. And then I also thought, you know, in two thousand and seven, you were driving to a spot that night where you were going to take your life, and it's now two thousand and twenty-one, and only three people even know of that night. My wife and my son, and I knew. We were the only people that knew. I didn't ever want to tell anyone because I didn't want to lose the next promotion. I didn't want to be perceived as weak. All the stigmas that come along with it. So I went back and talked to the professor and said, hey, I think I'll do this. And he said, wow, that would be powerful. If you can do that and pull that off, that would be monumental. I started in two weeks after that conversation, I was sitting in a weekly meeting here at the office. I told 16 managers in the company that, hey, January 3rd, next year, we're going to begin the mental health. We're going to transform the company. And for whatever reason, I decided to tell them people that day about that night in 07. I had no plan to. I don't know why I did. It just felt right. And I I did. And the reaction in the room was stone silence. No conversation. I finished telling my story and kind of looked at all of them and said, hey, that's all I got for you. they all left Um, there were even two people in that room that day that i told them there were letters in my desk drawers for them they were my goodbye letters thanking them and letting them know that they had nothing to do with why i decided to leave no comments from them either Four months later, sitting in the backyard with tears in my eyes, my wife asked me what's wrong. And I said, I'm gonna tell you something that I probably should have told you before I told 16 people at work. And Stacey at the time and I, I think we'd been married 12 years, and she didn't know. And I told her, and she asked me, How do you feel now? And I said, I feel like I can finally breathe. And that kick-started something inside of me. A gentleman by the name of Cal Byers and I gave a webinar to the women of asphalt march of 22 and uh, i've got a journal that i carry with me that is filled with emails and stories from people that day wanting me to know that i changed their life they had lost family members and they had once stopped their mother they had often contemplated it themselves and if it could happen to me suddenly they didn't have to live in shame anymore and it just it fueled a fire and passion in me that i have never felt in anything in my life before I've got a chance to leave a mark, not only on Ajax, but on an industry. And it's not just the U.S. industry. I was in Aberystwyth, Wales, in the United Kingdom in February and gave a talk. It's a problem in the United Kingdom. It's a problem in Australia. So it's not unique to the United States. The numbers are pretty uniform no matter what country you go to. Yeah, I have got a passion about it, and I want to make... A change. I'm not looking to profit off of it. There's, I'm not looking to get anything out of it other than to get my peers the people that stood on the stage with me to go back and take some action. And you asked what can company to do. The actions are really pretty simple. First, just tell people that, hey, it's okay. We can talk about it. Hey, we've got an employee assistance program. One thing we did here at, at Ajax is we uh, sent 11 employees, including me, through a mental health first aid responder program. And it's a program to where we all had to do four hours of upfront work on our own. And then we met with an individual for five hours and he trained us on what sign to look for, what question to ask, uh, where to direct people for assistance and guidance. He educated us on things that you should not say. And um, we did that for people from the lowest level of the company to me at the highest level. So now we have a peer network where people can go and reach out to someone on their level. They don't have to worry about going to their supervisor. They've got a peer network to talk to them. We started with 11 last November. We've got 12 more people that are wanting to do it in March, and we got a waiting list of people wanting to do it after that. So the steps are really just little. Again, the, the biggest step is just saying that, hey, we've worried about your physical health around here for the last 40 years. Now we want to combine that with your mental health. I know I'm getting winded here, but I'm on a roll because I'm I'm passionate about this. When we say the words mental health, most people immediately think bipolar, depression, medication, pills. Yet when I say physical health, we think about a triathlon guy or, or we think about a star athlete or we think about a marathon runner. So when we say physical health, we associate it with good Yet when we say mental health, we associate it with bad. Mental health goes from mental health to mental illness and there's all levels of spectrum in there. Maybe all some people need for mental health is to go sit on a park on the bench and listen to the birds and don't think about work, don't think about anything. Maybe some people need to go for a walk along the beach or or down a trail. Maybe some people need to go and get medication. It's the same in physical health. If I go to the doctor today with a heart issue, I may find out that, oh, I need some acid because I ate something wrong last night. Or I may need a bypass. So there's all these different spectrums in mental illness and then physical illness. Yet when I interview people and ask them, what do you think of when I say the words mental health to you, through my research, it immediately jumps to
0: illness. That's a stigma that we have to change also. I hear all the time people saying, I got hurt, I'm going to physical therapy. And everyone's like, Oh, that's great. You're going to physical therapy. But if you hear someone say, like, I'm going to talk to a therapist, people are like, Oh gosh, you gotta go, this guy's just gonna talk to a therapist, something's wrong. You know what I mean? Like to your point, like I think that's important. And really, I think at the end of the day, any kind of a challenge that person, a company, a society, a community is dealing with, the first step always has to be awareness because there are probably companies like Ajax in your industry that if they knew about the problem, they would do some of the things you're doing, but they just literally, the leadership doesn't know about the problem, like you said. So I think that you're on the right path in that you can't jump to a solution right away. You have to jump to just letting people know. You have to start by letting people know that there's an issue and that if we don't take actions, it will get worse. And it sounds like you're on the right path to doing that, but it's a big task because like you said, it's just not known by people.
1: I'm on LinkedIn a lot, and someone put a post on there the other day that they were at a conference, and what a great conference it was. And I I looked at the panel, and I have one of the percentages right here, but not the others. It was like, hey, 45% of the panel was academia, and another 30% were mental health experts. The one number that was right, 5% of the panel participants were contractors. And I responded on their post and said, we need to stop having all the academic, all the mental health experts tell all the contractors how to fix it because contractors don't know they have a problem. You need to get the contractors on the panel. Let them help tell you how they can fix the problem.
0: I don't know if I'm right or wrong
1: on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right
0: you got to have that awareness around something before you can start to get people to move towards a solution and sometimes like you said that's to be the harder part like right like the solution can be easy like you're you have to educate people send them maybe to a you know there's different things you can do you can't do anything by yourself like you need different companies and different industry leaders like you said you got to spread it to get more momentum and you know once you do that i think it'll be helpful for everyone out there and i think a couple things just personally that I can say that have been beneficial for me. From a mental health standpoint, I started taking on meditation a couple of years ago. Somebody recommended it to me because I know for me personally, I just feel like I was running always at 150 miles an hour when you have your own business. And in the in our industry, I mean, infrastructure, we're very busy. And somebody recommended meditation. And my first thought was, you're out of your mind. There's no way I could sit still for five, 10 minutes. I got a great app, this waking up app that I use. There's other apps out there. And I have to say, since that time, I logged about 7,000 minutes of meditation, which is only 10 minutes a day. But if you add it up over a number of years, it adds up. And it's been very helpful for me to be able to slow things down a little bit. I never start the day without doing that at this point. It's become a very powerful habit, but there are things you can do to help yourself slow things down a little bit. Physical activity can often be really good, whether it's exercise, a group that you playing basketball at night with friends or something like that and establishing habits like that can be very helpful just because what's, I think, made the whole challenge a little bit worse, maybe more than a little bit, is obviously with COVID over the last few years, is that it's really kind of blurred the lines for people between work and home. I mean, I know in the construction industry, often you'll go to a project site for work. In the engineering world that I live in, you used to go to an office for work then you stayed home for 24 hours a day for a number of period of time. And and that makes things very stressful in themselves. You know, I know a lot of people, another stigma is a lot of people say, oh, your job's easy. You just work from home all day. But when you have kids and you have things going on at home and you're still expected to do the work by your supervisors and your team, it's not necessarily easier. Like I sometimes I tell my wife, like I, I wish I went to an office every day from nine to five just because Sometimes you need that change of scenery to be able to focus and do your work and have separation between the two. So, I just think that there are some assumptions that people make these days. You know, when you talk about mental health, people immediately go to the bad side of things. Just like when people say you get to work from home, you're lucky type of thing. Like that's a good thing. That's an easy thing to do. I think that's another assumption in today's world that could be dangerous. So, Vince, I think the work that you're doing is great. And we're happy to help at the Engineering Management Institute through our platform in any way that we can to spread the word about what you're doing. It's something that's needed. And I I think someone to take an initiative like you, you know, at the stage of your career to do the doctorate, to, you know, try to spread this message is really powerful. And I guess maybe to wrap us up, what message do you have for everyone out there on this topic? Like, what would you like to see happen in the short term here over the next, you know, months and years on this topic? What's your goal?
1: One, we're going to be promoting here the next week or so a a website to where people can go to sign the proclamation to gather signatures and say, hey, we're on board with it. I can try to get that information to you. They can find me on LinkedIn. I'll have it posted on there periodically. I just want people to go back to being decent, respectable human beings, caring about one another, lay this thing down more during the day and stay off of social media as much teen suicide is way on the rise i think a lot of it comes from that when i was a kid you got hazed and bullied and you went home and it was over with now our young people get it 24 hours a day it doesn't end so get involved if you're listening to this go ask your boss if you have a boss that will let you ask him right Or ask your HR manager, what can we do to help change what's happening in this industry? And I mean, I want you to know, I had engineering firms on that stage with me on February 7th. I think it's important that the engineering community be involved in it. A lot of engineers are inspectors out on our jobs. I think they can observe people's actions and see things changing within people. And they have an opportunity to ask, hey, how are you doing? I've been a one-man army, and now I got a few more people helping me. We we need to create a national army that says it's okay to talk about mental
0: health. I think what you're doing is admirable. And I'll tell you one other thing I wanted to mention before that I've done personally that's been very beneficial to me is I've deleted all the social media apps off my phone. So if I need to do something on... And I'm very active on LinkedIn, but I do it on the computer. I do it take time during the day, and I do it on the computer... And the reason for that was because I found that whenever I had a free second, I was opening up those things and scrolling through them. And half the time I'm looking at things that mean nothing to me or not important to me, but I got into a habit of just doing what I call the mindless scroll. It was very difficult the first few weeks. Honestly, I mean, I've never taken drugs, but I would imagine it's similar to an addiction because you're used to picking it up every day and looking at it. You feed off of that. So in the beginning, it was extremely difficult for me. Oh, I can't pick this up. I can't share this. I can't do this. But now I, I can't believe how I ever had them on my phone because I, it was just very distracting. So Vince, again, I want to thank you for spending some time with us on the Engineering Project Management Podcast. I do think this is something that we all need to kind of team up on together. And we will share all of the links that Vince mentioned. I have a very large LinkedIn following, and we have a big platform in EMI that we'll definitely share with you, Vince, to be able to, to get the message out there. I think what you're doing is great, and I appreciate you spending some time with us here on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Vince. I know that it's a very sad topic, but it's one that we need to address. And Vince is doing a heck of a job trying to do that with the petition and everything that he's done, as he explained in our conversation and if you want to connect with him, you can certainly look him up on LinkedIn. The spelling of his last name is Haefely, H-A-F-E-L-I. That's H-A-F-E-L-I. You can go to his own website to get more information. That's Vince, V-I-N-C-E, H-A-F-E-L-I dot com. And you can just connect with him on LinkedIn. And I think you'll find him to be a very interesting and engaging person. And he's got a great purpose that he's striving towards. And I hope this podcast can help him to achieve it. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at www.engineeringpmpodcast.com. That's engineeringpm for projectmanagementpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering project management endeavors.